Father God, we're grateful for the opportunity to open your word once again. We thank you for uh, the fellowship of believers here at Eastridge. And thank you for this time when we can uh, ask questions, when we can reflect, meditate on the truth that is recorded in the book of Leviticus. We're grateful for the privilege to know God, who is absolutely holy, who is pure, and yet who is very personable. We pray that you give us grace, open our eyes, and teach us, and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and fellowship with one another be part of this Sunday School Hour. Amen. So as we continue in the book of Leviticus, uh, for it would be super helpful to turn on. I wanted to start with a slide that I kind of mentioned last week, but uh, I received the feedback. It would be helpful actually to put in the slide. How do we glean from the study of the scriptures and mainly maybe specifically from the book of Leviticus? I was reflecting a little bit uh, on the dilemma, and I, tr and I trust that all of you kind of experienced that that Leviticus is not one of the uh, natural books you would gravitate to do your Bible study. And this is part of the reason why I uh, take the challenge to, uh, to study and to teach, because uh, part of our conviction is that every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is inspired, is profitable, is trustworthy, and we need it. And the book of Leviticus, I do not know for you, but for me personally, it's been uh, the book that was instructing me on God's holiness. It is definitely not the easiest book. So how do we study books of the Bible that are not easy to understand, tend to be so remote and maybe not even applicable in some ways? Well, just a few principles for us. As I introduced the, the principle of 10, and it, it applies to Leviticus and applies to any books of the Bible because we are at least 2,000 years remote from the New Testament. So it is true not only for the Old Testament, but also for the New Testament. Uh, we want to look at this basic principle, what happened then? We go back to the time of history. We want to know who is the author. We want to know the customs, the geography, the context of the book, uh, and the context of specific passage. Uh, we also learn eternal principles. There are certain principles that are true then, for Israelites at Mount Sinai, then they are true today. And this is exactly what we've been trying to do every single lesson we would put at the end, uh, applicable lessons for all of us. And what is now? So now, even though we live 3,500 years past Leviticus, uh, those truths, they still speak to us and they still apply to us. And maybe I'm speaking too close here. <clears throat> so, how do we approach the text? We want to approach the text prayerfully. It is true for those who preach, teach, and for those, for any Christian. We always want to approach text prayerfully. It is the Word of God. And we come with that conviction. Uh, secondly, we expect it to work hard. I am not going to read, I encourage you to read those two, two passages, uh, Proverbs and in Job. Both passages deal with a mining industry. How many of you invest into a mining industry, gold and silver? You don't have to show me your hands. <clears throat> but those passages actually deal with something that is far greater than uh, gold or silver. They deal with wisdom, 
wisdom that comes from God. And the way we are instructed in those passages to attain wisdom is a, uh, there is an analogy to the miners who go beneath the surface where the, uh, the birds do not even, uh, falcon doesn't fly in order to find something precious and valuable, but it requires a lot of work. Uh, so this is true for us when we come to the text of the scriptures. We, we should have a proper expectation that any biblical text will require some hard work, holy sweat. And uh, there is a great reward. So if you read those texts, there is a great reward uh, really for us uh, as we come to know the wisdom of God and, and we eventually come to know God himself who revealed his word. I pick up, uh, I like small books, so I don't know how, how you, I do like, and uh, I wanted to really address this theme of studying the scriptures from Dr. C. Sproul. In his book, Knowing Scriptures, he basically uh, expands on these principles and gives a lot more uh, details how do we approach, but he starts his book addressing two myths. And something we probably came across, the first myth uh, that he dealt with is the Bible is so difficult to understand that only highly skilled theologians with technical training can deal with the scriptures. True or false? Did I hear true? No. Okay. It is false. Because if we think through the history of the church, not many people even had ability to have the scriptures up until the printing press. And yet, uh, the gospel and uh, just the profound understanding who God is and who we are as mankind uh, is uh, transmitted, that truth transmitted through the ages of the history. So uh, the gospel is so simple that even little children understand it. You want to prove? Come on Wednesday. Adventure Club where this auditorium is packed with kids. And they would ask the most profound questions because they understand they wrestle with the truth. And yet it is so profound that we would spend the eternity and will not be able to grasp all the magnitude and glories of the gospel. So you don't have to be a theologian. It is helpful, but you don't, it's not a requirement, not a prerequisite. The second myth uh, that Dr. Sproul addresses here, the Bible is boring. When you heard about the book of Leviticus, how many of you, okay, you, you can internally raise your hand. All right. Somebody thought that Leviticus is boring. What are we going to do there? So he was offered, he gives this example that he was offered a job as a Bible professor, and part of the uh, requirement was to make the Bible alive to the students. So when he heard that uh, from the president of the institution, uh, he, he said, I had to force myself to swallow my words. I wanted to say, you wanted me to make the Bible come alive? I did not know that it had been dead. In fact, I never even heard that it was ill. <laughs> so we unfortunately not by the public profession, by, by our own attitude and how we deal with scriptures, we sometimes deal with this myth. Uh, not that we hear it, but we in our hearts deal. 
So he continues, and I'm going to read just a brief paragraph. When people say the Bible is dull, it makes me wonder why. Biblical characters are full of life. There is a unique quality of passion about them. Their lives reveal drama, pathos, loss, crime, devotion, and every conceivable aspect of human existence. There is a rebuke, remorse, contrition, consolation, practical wisdom, philosophical reflection, and most of all, truth. So it is true uh, of any pages of the Bible, including the book of Leviticus. So why do we study Leviticus? Well, as uh, I have been saying every single time, and whoever teaches in Leviticus here, we've been saying that the key truth of the book of Leviticus is really uh, the focal point is holiness, the holiness of God. Uh, and the purpose of this book is to instruct the nation of Israel how Israel must live and worship as God's chosen people in response to his holiness in order that he might dwell among them. This is something being lost at the garden of Eden, right in the beginning of human history, and something that Israel was really privileged to experience, God's closeness. So what is God's holiness? Last few weeks we've been defining this word and I've been bringing different aspects just for us to have a better grasp. So when we think about holiness, first aspect we think really uh, God's majestic holiness, he is distinct from everything else. And today I wanted to bring uh, just a quote from Dr. Wayne Grudem uh, in his uh, Systematic Theology book, which is a really big book, but it's helpful. He says, in the teaching of the Bible, God is both infinite and personal. He is infinite in that he is not subject to any of the limitations of humanity or of creation in general. He is far greater than everything he has made, far greater than anything else that exists. But he is also personal. He interacts with us as a person, and we can relate to him as, a pers as persons. We can pray to him, worship him, obey him, and love him, and he can speak to us, rejoice in us, and love us. Last week I asked, can we name any religion in the world that can claim this? You see, none of, every single religion in the world defies the holiness of God. Because either God is so remote with a deism, but he's not personal. He's not personally involved in every single life of us. He doesn't care for you individually. But Bible and testimony of scripture is contrary. But there is a second aspect to, to holiness of God. And, and this is what we've been uh, being reminded of, that he is morally pure and he's perfect. So, again, from Wayne Grudem, God's holiness means that he's separated from sin and devoted to seeking his own honor. This definition contains both a rela relational quality, separation from, and the moral quality, the separation from sin and evil, and devotion to the good of God's own honor and glory. And this is exactly what we see on the pages of the scripture. God is not only separated from sin, but whatever he does, he does for the good and for, to defend his honor and glory, to, to display his honor and glory. So it's not either or, it's both and. And we need to keep that in mind, especially when we 
deal with texts that, are, that make us feel very uncomfortable. God will accomplish and he will defend his glory and he will display his glory. Psalm 24, verses 3 through 6. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may come into the presence of the Holy God? This is the question the psalmist places before us. And who may stand in his holy place? Well, here, here's the qualifications. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his, his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is a generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. Selah. How many of us can claim that we are the people who have clean hands and a pure heart? The true answer to those questions is none of us can come into his presence. Christ and Christ alone, who is the perfect man, God-man, he is the only one who can be and can dwell in the presence of the Holy God. And yet, because we are united with Christ, that little preposition in English, in, is probably the most powerful preposition in the entire eternity, because we are in Christ. And we carry the righteousness of Christ by sheer position, not our performance. And because we're in Christ, we, as the psalmist here writes, we are the generation of those who seek him. So the book of Leviticus gives us really two key, uh, key points. The way to approach God through worship, through appropriate worship, and the way to walk with God through obedient lifestyle. And even though often at Sundays we hear the same truths, they're not necessarily quoted from Leviticus, the scripture is, uh, bleeds with this truth. It always reminds us that the way to God is through appropriate worship. And the way with God is through obedient lifestyle. So the book of Leviticus was given to people of Israel where? Mount Sinai. So this is just a, a picture, again, um, it's interesting to go back into the photography of 18th century. Uh, if you ever have an opportunity to have that record, because uh, with um, a lot of developments in tourism, we don't necessarily see what truly kind of looked before. But this is just one of the sketches of Mount Sinai. It's a very rugged place. And if you were to camp there, you probably will camp there no more than six hours maybe 24 hours. But people of Israel were at Sinai for 11 months. The wonderful 11 months. Uh, this is more a modern picture and it's kind of, I, I recognize it's difficult to see. There is right here, uh, you see little trees and there is a little, maybe a tent. So uh, if you are to travel to Mount Sinai and hike, which you can do, uh, it's, I believe it's free of charge. Um, you will encounter some Bedouins who will uh, rent you some camel blankets. Uh, you, if you are to spend the night at Mount Sinai, you will smell like a camel, but you will survive, you will not freeze to death. Uh, so 
at the bottom of the Mount Sinai, there is a monastery to St. Catherine. It's a Greek Orthodox monastery, and a lot of uh, people travel from the entire world. Actually, this is the place where, where one of the ancient manuscripts was discovered. And that is currently, I believe, in St. Petersburg. And you can kind of see here a group of hikers uh, trying to ascend to Mount Sinai. So, unlike Mount Rainier, Mount Sinai is, is really a group of multiple mounds. So, but it gives us an idea, at least when God spoke to people of Israel. So the book of Leviticus itself, it was given in the course of one month. And this is a, a, just a brief outline of the, uh, the uh, five books. As it, uh, Israel left Egypt before they entered the promised land and before the, really when they celebrated their first Passover. So their course of 40 year journey. Again, this is all review for now. Um, now, this slide we're going to be tested on. Uh, I'm just kidding. So we've been uh, studying this uh, for the last uh, three weeks, just various sacrifices. And this slide is, it, it will be available for you uh, on, a, on a web page. Uh, this is going to be just a helpful resource because you will read about these various sacrifices on the pages of the Old Testament. And it's helpful just to go at a glimpse and look, okay, if it's a sin offering, what is the implication? Where can I find references? What happened? Uh, the one who would offer the offering and what priest would do. So just just the point of reference. Uh, any questions so far? No questions. Either I go too fast or not clear. Uh, somebody had a question last week about um, a bloody mess, just the amount of blood that would be spilled at the tabernacle. It is interesting that when we read tabernacle, uh, the whole story about tabernacle in this narrative, the actual implementation would take place during the time of David, David and Solomon, when they built the, uh, the, the temple. That's where really the, the, <clears throat> the full-time ministry will take place. But when you read in the Chronicles, for example, when uh, Solomon, um, they, they um, consecrated the temple, they finished building, he, they would bring thousands of bulls and burn offering. Thousands. It's a lot of blood. And one of the authors, uh, because our concern is how can priests and Levites minister uh, when there is a, such a stench? But the true question is, how can God endure such a stench to be with his people? That's a true question. So today we're going to cover next two chapters, um, ordination of priests. <clears throat> so today we will go uh, about the ordination of priests, and then next Sunday we uh, will do part two about priests. And then we'll have uh, three weeks break from Leviticus. We will have... Uh, missionary coming uh, last Sunday of the month, and he will present uh, just an overview of his ministry. And it's an important opportunity for us to, to be here, to learn how the gospel goes beyond our zip code, and how we as the Eastern Church can participate and partner with one another in different parts of the world. And then we'll have two more Sundays, the first two Sundays in November, uh, where all of us 
all classes will gather here and we will have an opportunity to be trained how to witness to Mormons, people who normally wear a white shirt, a tie, and a name tag. Uh, just how do we approach them and how do we speak to them? Because one thing they do, deny. They deny the holiness of God. So I trust that you can use lessons from Leviticus and uh, you will have an opportunity to really receive more information. How do we speak with them? Uh, how do we define terms? Because oftentimes we may use the same term like Jesus, but we mean completely different things. So it's an opportunity for us to really be trained, be equipped. And as holidays come, and as you prayerfully consider, the knock will come on your door. You don't have to go far. They will come to you. You just need to be ready to speak to them, present to them true Christ of the Bible. Ryan, would you be so kind to read the text for us? It is very interesting if you were to read uh, through the, uh, the five books of Moses. Uh, we started in the Leviticus, uh, actually Exodus 25. Up until this point, we read just the instructions, instructions, instructions. And here, the first time we uh, actually read the narrative. Now, Moses, uh, they finished the tabernacle, and now they are ordaining the priests. So everything up until this point, first, day, first seven chapters, they were instructions how, what each party should do. And now the first day when the entire congregation gathers and um, whatever God instructed uh, at Mount Sinai to Moses specifically, Moses is about to do that and to install the priests. Who can tell me... Um, what is the brief biography of Aaron? What do we know about him? He's the first high priest. He is the first high priest, okay. He's the brother of Moses. He's in the family. He's the older brother of Moses. He was a spokesperson when we were going through Exodus. What is the name of his wife? Yes, I know you know. Starts with an E. It's a kind of Greek version, Elizabeth. Elisheba. It would be the Hebrew version. How many sons did Aaron have? Four. Four sons. Okay. Uh, on a scale of one to ten, uh, how faithful is Aaron, at least from the book of Exodus? If you remember in Exodus 32, the incident with the golden calf, um, this is a part of Aaron's record. And it is a permanent record because God revealed that record. And it stays with us. It's given to us, so we know. 
It's very interesting when we read about priesthood, uh, especially in this context that God is going to ordain Aaron. He's not a perfect man. But this is the time when God is going to give an instruction to him and he is going to be in the position of priest. If you think about it in the context of Exodus, when God called people of Israel out of Egypt, he said, you're going to be uh, the kingdom of priests, a nation set apart for God's own possession. And your priesthood is going to be administered to the world, to other nations. So as, as the priest in Israel, to the nation of Israel, so the role of Israel to the rest of the world. And this is what is happening here. Um, we have briefly covered just the clothing, and this is what uh, God instructed Moses, and this is what Moses does. He, he brings uh, Aaron and his sons, and he clothes Aaron. Uh, who recalls what was on the crown written? Holy unto the Lord, exactly. So Aaron, as a priest, as a high priest, he's stepping into the holy territory in a very close proximity to God's adobe, who abides in the Holy of Holies. So he's going to be ministering, and he himself is holy to the Lord. And what does the book of Exodus tell us about his clothing? Two words, for the beauty and for the glory. And just, just a reminder, um, Aaron is a priest. He was given this tablet that had 12 stones, and on each stone were the tribes of Israel. Okay? So he would carry this breastplate. And on his shoulders, what would be inscribed? Also the tribes of Israel. So he is carrying them as a, as a representative. He is carrying them before the Lord. He intercedes for them. And what we covered last week, uh, when God gave instructions for the sin offering, he started with high priest. Because when high priest sins, there is that federal headship application. When high priest sins, the entire nation is guilty. And when high priest needs to offer sin for himself and for the nation. So this is a part of really uh, part of the instruction for high priest. So when Aaron and his sons, they were prepared for ordination, and I am not going to go through the details, but uh, I encourage you to read through uh, Leviticus 8 and 9. So first, they are brought to the tent, or before the tent. Um, they anointed. So Moses actually takes uh, the anointing and he anoints both uh, the clothing, the priests, and all the utensils and altar at the tabernacle. He consecrates everything for the ministry and for the service. Now, who can tell me what does the word consecrate means? I know we use that word. Set apart. Set apart. This is a word that comes from holiness. Is set apart for God's own use. Um, 
I'd like somebody to, to read Psalm 133, verse 2, because this is where the anointing of Aaron is described, when brothers dwell in unity together. Verse 2. Thank you. Now, this is not the reason why some men do have a beer. Um, but you can imagine that when there is a consecration and ordination, uh, Moses poured oil on a head of Aaron, and it comes down. And it signifies uh, in, the con in the eyes of the entire congregation, because this was a public event, that he is set apart for God's own use. Now, not just Aaron, but also Moses brings his sons, and uh, this is not one of the sons, this is just an illustration, really, of the pictures, uh, what their outfit. So the rest of the priests, high priest only was uniquely dressed. The rest of the high priests, they would wear this white linen, uh, and they would be ready to serve. So this is a steps in the ordination, okay, preparation for ordination, anointing of tabernacle, Aaron. Then next piece, God instructs them to bring a sin offering for altar, for priesthood, and for Israel. Then there is a ram for burnt offering, ram for ordination, and seven-day ordination. What I would like to do now, you can see those verses in the back. I would like uh, somebody to open the Bible. So one person, I want you to read verse 9. So it's all from Leviticus chapter 8. Okay, somebody from here. Mike, Leviticus 8 verse 9. Lens, Leviticus 8 verse 13. Uh, Somebody on this side, Leviticus 8, verse 17. Daniel? Okay. Uh, Leviticus 8, verse 21. Volunteers? Okay. Dirk? We'll come back here. Leviticus 8, verse 29. 8, 29? You read? Okay. May you read? And Leviticus 8, verse 36. Okay, then, then. So let's, let's read through. I want you to listen carefully to this text. This is really part of the outline. But also, listen, what is repeated in this text? Please, Mike, start. No, no, just verse 9. Thank you. Verse 13. Next, Moses had Aaron's sons come near and clothe them with tunics and girded them with sashes and bound caps on them just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 17. Verse 21. After he had washed the entrails and laced with water, 
Verse 29. And when you take the bread, I believe it for you all and Thank you. What is the common theme runs through these verses? Did you hear? So, so the common phrase that is repeated here in this chapter, just as the Lord commanded him. Moses does everything exactly just as the Lord commanded him. What is the implication for us? really simple in this text God reminds and he repeats the Holy Spirit repeats this phrase six times just as the Lord commanded him this is exactly what Moses did now when we fast forward to numbers there is an incident where God instructs Moses and he does not quiet if you remember the the rock and the staff and God says speak to the rock and Moses strikes the rock what God instructs what God tells Moses because you did not honor my holiness you will not enter the inheritance in the promised land so God is as a holy God he gives instruction and he expects his people and we as his people to do just as the Lord commanded us. This is instruction for them, this is instruction for us. It is interesting as you look through this outline that for the priests, first requirement that they had to bring an offering for their own sin. Before they would be ordained and consecrated for the ministry before the Holy God, they had to deal with their own sin. It is true for us as well. We have to deal with sin, personal sin, before we come and minister. We read that um, they had to bring the sin offering and following the instructions. And actually Moses in this case was acting as a high priest. He was administering uh, the sin offering as a high priest. And then they bring the burnt offering. This is the time when the burnt offering is the time when they worship God. And acknowledge his holiness and only uh, next as a ram for ordination they would follow the pattern of the peace offering and they will partake they will eat portion of the sacrifice and what one of the significances of the peace offering they experience fellowship with God uh, we stopped here somebody from this side could you read Exodus 24, verses 9 through 11? Exodus 24, 9 through 11.
Thank you. So every time there is a peace offering, uh, Israelites, and in this case, Aaron and his sons, they are in the fellowship with God, and he doesn't strike them. Because they dealt with sin, they acknowledge him, through burnt offering, and now they experience that fellowship with God. So chapter 9 really gives a brief overview of the ministry of high priest. So this is after seven days, Aaron and his sons, they were instructed to be before the Lord by the entrance to the tabernacle. They had to remain there for seven days. It was the time of consecration. So as the time of consecration comes, this is on the eighth day. God gives an instruction for the sacrifice. Okay, and so now in verses, chapter 9, verses 5 and 6, so they, t- they took what Moses had commanded to the front of the tent of meeting, and the whole congregation came near and stood before the Lord. Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. So as we will read through, if you are to read through this chapter, at the end of the chapter, you will see God manifest his glory. He accepts the ministry of the high priest and the rest of the priests. But again, Aaron had to deal with the sin offering, and now he brings sin offering on behalf of the people, the leadership. And he brings again burnt offering, an offering for people. And there is, at the end of the chapter 9, a blessing of Aaron. Aaron blesses the people. Uh, Just as an example of the blessing, how Aaron would bless, or how high priest would bless people, um, Ryan, could you read Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to 27? Numbers 6, 24, 27. This is the priestly blessing upon the Israel. So you can imagine the high priest, he would come to the door of the tent of the meeting and he would lift up his hands and he would pronounce this blessing upon the nation of Israel. Thus you shall be, uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you Shalom. Uh, and the, the word for peace in Hebrew is more than just lack of conflict or absence of conflict, but it's a presence of harmony. This is something that Adam and Eve lost because of sin in the garden. And this is something that God brings as Israel deals with their sin through the sacrificial system. And now they are a chosen nation enjoying and experiencing the fellowship of God with God, and they experiencing shalom with him. 
So this is a, just a ministry of the priests and their ordination and really for the first day on the job. And what happens? What is the ending of this chapter? If you look in Leviticus chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, Moses and Aaron went into the tent of the meeting. When they came out and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Then the fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and portions of the fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and felt on their faces. You remember the people of Israel at Mount Sinai, they have seen God's presence through fire and thunder and earthquake. They were terrified. Now the glory of the Lord came and filled the tabernacle so nobody could approach God. Nobody could come in. And now the glory of the Lord came and consumed the sacrifice. So God accepted the ministry of Aaron and the priesthood that is to come through his lineage. As we close, I want us to reflect on some lessons. So what lessons from the ordination of priests we can learn for us as we worship holy God? I have few, seven exact. Uh, but I'm just curious, as you've been listening, what, what are lessons, what are some applicational points that would be true for us today? To be obedient. Yes, it's definitely on the list. It is a perfect mediator. If you think about Aaron and the entire lineage of priesthood in the Old Testament, they all had to bring the offering for their own sin. Paul, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Notice he did not give himself or an offering for himself. But he is that perfect sacrifice and the perfect high priest as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time. So we, as we reflect on the priesthood of Aaron, and we've read a lot of passages from the book of Hebrews, uh, the author of Hebrews argues and presents to us a far better and superior priesthood that comes in Christ. Why? He does not have to offer sacrifices for himself. He's sinless. He's perfect. This is exactly what we read in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 and 27. Ryan, would you be able to read? You will need to open up. Um, Mike, can you open Luke chapter 23, verse 46? Shay. If you could open 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. James 3, 1. I know some of you know it by memory. James 3, 1. Dale, would you be able to read James 3, 1? Thank you. Uh, somebody from here, Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. And... Jason, 
John 14, 15. Okay. So let's hear about the, the perfect high priest. This is unlike of any high priests. Perfect high priest. Luke 23, verse 46. 46 You remember the scene of the crucifixion. There was a darkness as a sign of judgment. And yet the final prayer of our high priest was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The sacrifice is accepted. Priestly ministry of the church, First Peter. This is our ministry now as we live in this world. That God placed us to be mediators as we do the ministry of the gospel. Now there is a greater accountability of the leaders. James 3.1. We must deal with our personal sin before we really minister and deal with others, serve others. It's Matthew chapter 7. It is very interesting text, and I know we, we, we have learned this text, and we have read this text. But notice in this text, Jesus doesn't say, only deal with the log from your eye. But he says, no, first deal with the log, and then you know how to deal with a speck in your brother's eye. So we definitely need to address our own sin first. Last but not least. If you love me, you will keep my, my commandments. Thank you. So as we looked at the, uh, the priesthood of Aaron and really ordination of priesthood in their first day in ministry, there are a number of lessons that we can glean for our own lives. Any questions? Next week we will continue with the ministry of priests and then we will have an opportunity the following week to meet and greet our, one of our missionaries. Let us pray.
Father God, we are immensely grateful that you have revealed your holiness and your righteousness to nation of Israel and their track record demonstrated that they are sinners. They are very sinful people. But when we look at the mirror of your word, we recognize that we also are sinners. And we're grateful that your spirit reveals our sinfulness to us and shows to us our need for atonement, our need for someone else's righteousness. And we're grateful that Jesus Christ became the perfect sacrifice to atone for our sins as he satisfied the wrath of God and as he is that perfect high priest to intercede for us even today. We're grateful that we can come to this, to him boldly. And also, Lord, you have called us to be mediators in this world as we carry the ministry of the gospel to the dying world that they can also be reconciled with God by putting their faith and trust in Christ and turning away from sin. Lord, we're grateful for all these lessons. And I pray that we would be as diligent as Moses was to do exactly as the Lord commanded. Give us your grace. And may you be lifted up on high. Amen.